Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. In this episode, we're going to do what we did in the last episode, is we are going to go for some questions and answers which people liked. So let's do it again. In this episode, we're going to cover tilting of PV modules, such as seasonal tilting, why most PV modules are 60 and 72 cell modules, and then we're also going to have a question that we're going to cover on net metering and energy storage. To find out more about solar and energy storage or to take the best on-demand online courses at HeatSpring, go to solarsean.com and find links to everything under the sun and stored. That's energy storage. Okay, so we're gonna get into some questions and answers. So the next question is coming from Ahmed, and he's asking, if a latitude plus 15 degree tilt is optimal for winter, and a latitude minus 15 degree tilt is optimal for summer, and 30 degrees is pretty good for annual, does this mean that one would need to manually change the tilt of their system depending on the season? Or does one decide which one will work depending on their location? So we're talking about seasonal tilt here. So it is rare to have seasonal tilt these days, which would get you slightly more energy, but it would require a specialized racking system and someone to go out and change the tilt a number of times per year. That means lots of moving parts. That means tightening and loosing bolts. It can get tiresome and PV is cheap now. When PV was more expensive, people were more likely to seasonally tilt their PV systems, their PV arrays. Now people are better off paying for extra PV which is relatively less expensive. However, if you're in a place where labor is super cheap, maybe you still might want to seasonally tilt your modules. Or if you're on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean and the sun is in the other direction, you could either turn around your sailboat to get that tilt, but you don't want to do that because you want to go in the correct direction, or you can just tilt your PV as you're changing your sails. Right, Popeye? That was a Popeye the Sailor Man reference. If you remember Popeye, like I do, Knowing the optimal tilt for different seasons is good for understanding how a PV system works, but for residential PV, people usually go with the slope of the roof. And for commercial and utility scale PV, people use a lot of software simulations to determine the orientation. Utility scale is more likely than not to have a single axis tracker these days, where it faces east in the morning, west in the evenings, and flat at noon. That's right, flat at noon. That means if you were tilting your system south, you'd be doing better at noon, but flat at noon is just the way it works with these single axis horizontal trackers that are really popular for utility scale solar systems. That way you get more in the morning and more in the afternoon, but you do get a little bit less at noon, which a lot of people don't realize. If someone is going to design an off-grid system, they might tilt at latitude plus 15 to optimize for the winter. That's considered your critical design time or your critical design month. And if they can make it through the winter with that latitude plus 15 tilt, then the summer will be totally easy because the summer just has so much more sun. So thanks for that question. And so I hope everyone is set now on tilt. One more thing about tilt though I wanted to mention is the way that you measure tilt is flat is zero degree tilt. Straight up and down, that would be vertical, would be a 90 degree tilt. Every once in a while, you find somebody doing it the other way around where they have vertical being zero and flat being 90. How about that? And so another thing is if you're facing the sun at sunrise, that would be a 90 degree tilt. That would be vertical. And the sun would be at a zero degree elevation angle. 
if the sun was straight over your head, that would be a 90 degree elevation angle. And if you're going to aim your PV straight at that sun that's straight overhead, then that would be a zero degree tilt. So therefore, if you are facing the sun exactly, your tilt plus your elevation angle would equal 90 degrees. So one more thing about seasonal tilting is, I mean, it's not crazy or anything. I can remember when I was working at this company with this guy named Stuart Wentworth, who invented the quick mount PV flashing. And this was about in 2008. And he was an inventor type. So he invented this seasonal tilt thing, this way to seasonally tilt a PV array. And we put it in this guy's backyard up on a hill. I remember it had some sun power modules with it. And it was very creative. And we had chains. And we would label different links in the chain for different degrees tilt. And then I came up with this great idea to go to the pet store and get dog tags and say summer, fall, winter and things like that for the different links in the chain where the homeowner would tilt it and i would bet you now that many years later that this guy probably is just tilting it somewhere around 30 degrees or latitude tilt because of all the extra time it would take him to go out there and mess around with dog tags and comparing that to the price of solar but hey maybe he's just really into it and he's still seasonally tilting that system i should see if i have his number and see what's up with that Another thing that I had experience with was in Canada, and this was about 2009 in Canada, in the Ontario province of Canada, and they had this thing called a feed-in tariff, a FIT, F-I-T, feed-in tariff, and that means they got a whole lot of money, that was a good feed-in tariff, that was 80 cents a kilowatt hour, 80.2 to be exact, for a PV system that was under 10 kilowatts, and that was 10 times more than the price that they were paying for electricity. So that means that you could get a PV system that would make one-tenth of the energy that you use and pay for all your energy. And that was a 20-year contract. So those feed-in tariffs, they're still happening up there. Shout out to Ontario. Great place. Loved it up there. So anyway, there was this guy that was a distributor, a solar distributor, and I went to his house. And he had this really neat seasonal tilt system where he would just pull out a pin and he could tilt. 10 kilowatts with one finger so it was perfectly balanced and he would just pull out this pin and tilt it and he would seasonally tilt his modules so that wasn't too much work but another reason why people don't seasonally tilt their modules is just when you have something that's going to not move at all it's going to be really sturdy it's going to last a long time like pv lasts a long time for many decades maybe forever sometimes i tell people that even the PV that they installed on the Great Pyramids at Gaza 4,000 years ago still works. And even some people might even believe me when I say something crazy like that, because PV was pretty much invented in 1954. Unless you want to take aliens into consideration. Live long and prosper. And when I say PV was invented in 1954, pretty much, I said pretty much because it's not absolute. In 1954 is when Bell Labs came out with the first thing that looked sort of like a solar module. However, don't want to forget about Edmund Becquerel, who figured out that you can take light and turn it into electricity, like, way long ago. Okay, and now back from Becquerel and to our next question. And this question is from Armando. And Armando asks, is there any significance to 60 and 72 cell modules? Why aren't there 100 or 200 cell modules or even 1,000 cell modules? My assumption is that people who test the modules have determined that 60 and 72 are most efficient. But I thought I'd like to ask. 
Okay, are you ready for your answer to your question, Armando? Most solar cells are mass-produced as 156 millimeters wide. That 6 inches is about 156 millimeters, which also is a coincidence because 156 millimeters is sort of like 156%, which is a correction factor that we use in the National Electrical Code to figure out what our current is, we multiply short circuit current times 1.56 to get our fuse size and our conductor size. However, let's move on because that was not the question, but our solar cells are about six inches wide. That's 156 millimeters. And so if you put six solar cells side by side in a solar module and you have a little bit of room for like in between the solar cells and a little bit of room for the frames, then you get just about one meter. And so 60 and 72 cell modules are just about a meter wide because they always have six solar cells going across in that dimension. And I should say always, I mean almost always because there's always gonna be some kind of weird solar module or some new thing somebody came up with or some thin film that's a little bit different. Thin film can have over 100 solar cells in there and they're just like big long rectangles. But anyway, we're talking about your average crystalline silicon PV module. And so with a meter wide, that's how they mass produce it. So they make all these big solar making machines, these assembly lines that you can buy if you want, if you got a million bucks, and they assemble these solar modules like that. And so the machines that make the solar modules themselves are almost mass produced. And it's kind of a good thing because we want solar to be cheap so that things are interchangeable and you just go by the glass and it's a meter wide. But then how long do you want to make it? You could make it longer, some people do. There's all kinds of variations, but 60 and 72 cells are kind of average. But I want to mention one more thing too. Sometimes we have these things called half cell modules. And so it would be 120 cells, which is double a 60, or it could be 144 cells, which is double a 72. And you're just splitting the solar cells in half because you get a little bit more efficiency there. And that's kind of a new thing that people are doing. It's getting more and more popular, these half cell modules. So just kind of keep up on that. There's also different types of modules called shingled modules these days. But we're just talking average, what's been around for a long time. And that's 60 and 72 cell modules. Some other things too is if we made the solar modules bigger, like made them really wide, made them really long, then they would need to have thicker glass to be stronger. And that would start increasing our price. And another thing too, is if they were using thicker glass, they would get heavier and harder to use. So these 60 cell modules are pretty good for fitting on residential rooftops. A lot of times with residential rooftops, you have limited space. So if you just have a smaller module, you're gonna be able to fit more PV up there. You know, you can fit it into the corners and things like that. And there's all these limitations on a roof. Like typically people have to stay either 18 inches or three feet from the ridge and have these three foot pathways going up and down the roof. So with residential rooftops, we're just limited on space. But another thing about residential rooftops is you got to bring them up there and move them around. And with a 60 cell module, pretty easy for one person to handle. But once you get up to 72 cells, it gets kind of heavy to move around up on a residential roof. Unless you're super buffed like me. Well, I guess I'm not too good at Arnold accents, but you know what I mean. And so a 72 cell module, a lot of times they say it takes two people, but some, a lot of times people, one person can move it, but it's just a lot heavier and it's harder to move. So typically a 60 cell module, is gonna be about five and a half feet long. That's about 
one and two-thirds meters. And a 72-cell module is going to be about six feet long. And a 72-cell module, it's got two extra rows of cells there, six inches a cell, so that's going to be about a foot longer. So that's going to be about six and a half feet long, also known as about two meters. And so five and a half feet is probably about equal to or a little bit shorter than your average solar installer but six and a half feet that is really tall and there's not too many six and a half foot solar installers out there they're busy playing baseball and basketball and all those sports where you get extra money for being tall so if you came up with like some weird shape of a solar module and you said oh i'm not going to do six by ten for 60 cells i'm going to do seven by nine or do something weird like that you're going to have trouble finding the manufacturing equipment and then the racking companies they don't have engineering for that you're going to have to hire a special engineer it's just going to get really confusing so why not just make this stuff a commodity in fact a lot of times when you're looking at the front side of a solar module you can't tell one brand from the next they look so much the same and that's a good thing because we want to make solar cheap and easy to install so another thing about six cells going across is you get two columns of cells per bypass diode, which works pretty well. And then the junction boxes and the bypass diodes are also mass produced and interchangeable. So remember, your average solar module has three bypass diodes in the junction box. And these bypass diodes help out with shading. So if you get shading on a cell or a group of cells, that third of the module, it'll just take out that third of a module and it won't take out the whole module. You know, some people talk about the Christmas light effect for solar modules and they try to scare you and say that like, if you shade one cell, it takes out the whole array. Maybe like way back in 1954, that was the case before they used bypass diodes. But these days, everything has bypass diodes, except for some thin film solar PV modules. And these bypass diodes, besides mitigating the effects of shading, also makes things safer because even in the 1980s, there was a lot of solar out there without bypass diodes. And if a leaf fell on a solar cell, it could start heating up because it turns into a resistor instead of a power producer. And then it could burn that leaf and that leaf could catch fire and start a giant wildfire. And we don't want that happening. So actually bypass diodes are officially put on modules for safety. That's the requirement for safety. And so that's so they don't start fires. But everybody talks about bypass diodes because of their benefits with efficiency and how they mitigate problems with shading. And also about your question, Armando, you're asking about efficiency. So the number of cells in a module doesn't really affect the efficiency that much. It's just convenience. It's easy to manufacture if they're all the same size. And a lot of times too, what's happening is somebody will make the wafers and then they'll sell them to somebody else. And then they'll take those wafers and turn them into cells. Or maybe somebody will take the cells and sell them to somebody else. And then they'll take those solar cells and turn them into solar modules. So it's just really convenient that everything is the same size. Okay, thanks for that great question, Armando. And on to another one. Okay, and this question comes from Abigail. And Abigail says, Hey Sean, net metering seems like a solid financial incentive to make the grid less reliant on fossil fuels. Yet, in states like California, the utilities are worried that solar is cutting into their profits and are trying to get the legislature to reduce net metering rates. Do you think that this will encourage more people to add batteries to their PV systems? Is there merit to net metering not being sustainable long term? Hey, that's a good question, and we're seeing this not just in California, but in lots of different places. And a great example of this would be even in Hawaii. So, 
The evolution of increased PV penetration on the grid does include adding energy storage. That is the answer to your question, but let's talk a little bit more about it and use Hawaii for an example because Hawaii has the greatest penetration of PV on the grid. That's per capita. And the last time I checked, they were just under 500 watts per person on average. So really that means more than one solar module per person. California would be coming in second too there, by the way. But let's go to Hawaii and check it out, right? Let's make that a business trip. Tax deductions. In Hawaii, people are not even allowed to export at all during the sunny times with the new PV system. And the older PV systems that were installed before that rule, they're grandfathered in. The worst thing that a utility could do is change the incentive after you already installed it. You know, you figure out all the financial analysis, you install it, and then all of a sudden the utility changes its mind. That would be terrible. Every once in a while you hear about something like that happening, but that's just not cool. And we're not going to even go there. So in Hawaii, the original people, you know, they installed it 10 years ago. They didn't have batteries and they're just doing regular net metering. But nowadays you can't export, at least during the sunny times of the day. There are different utilities in Hawaii, so there's little different rules here and there. But pretty much that means either you might have a small system on a big building and you would never export anyway, so then you don't need a battery. But most people, like residential people, they're getting batteries. And so they're not at home during the middle of the day. They fill up their battery, and then in the evenings and the nighttime, they dump out their battery without exporting to the grid, usually, but just to satisfy all their loads. And that way, they don't have to curtail their PV system. And what curtailing means is if you didn't have the battery you would have to make your PV system so it didn't export in the middle of the day. So you think about that, like noontime is, you know, solar noon. That's when the sun is highest up in the sky. So typically going to be about your best production. Depends a little bit on which way you're facing too. But just assuming facing south, it's going to be about your best production most of the year. That is, Hawaii is in the tropics. So at summer solstice, actually facing north would be your best production at noon. That's just at summer solstice. And so in Hawaii too, they have really high electricity rates. You know, it could be like four, five, six times what it is in some of these states that are not so great for solar. And Hawaii is known for its sunshine. They do have some different weather effects where you can have a mountain in Hawaii and it creates a lot of clouds and condensation over the mountain. But Hawaii is a great example of what solar is doing with energy storage. And so expect to see these things happen as other markets mature more too, such as California. So we're going to see California probably come up next after Hawaii with this heavy penetration. Other places where there's heavy penetration, where batteries are used all the time, are places like Germany, the most mature solar market in the world, and Australia. Lots of energy storage there in Australia too. In fact, Australia did have the world's largest energy storage system, and now California does. What do you know about that? So in California, electricity is a lot more expensive than most of the country, which we like because when electricity is expensive, it's great for the solar industry. But Hawaii is still more expensive than California. And what's happening in California right now, too, is when people get solar, they are changing the way that net metering works. And so one of the things that they're doing is they're requiring people that get solar to get a time of use rate that's not so favorable for the middle of the day. 
So your electricity is going to be more expensive in the evening time when the sun is not high in the sky or even when it's dark. So that means that's when you're going to be buying electricity. So if you get a battery, you can fill up that battery in the middle of the day. And then when electricity is more expensive as the sun is setting, then you can use that energy in your battery instead of that expensive grid energy. So this is a combination of time of use rates that are not favorable for solar without energy storage and net metering. So it's still net metering. Some people call it net metering too. And also in California too, there's different incentives where people can get money for batteries. It's hard to say California in general too, because there are so many utilities in California. There's three big ones. Then there's always the CCAs, that's community choice aggregation providers. And there's lots of municipal utilities, just lots of different utilities in California and so many different rate schedules. One of the things that I've noticed is I have solar that's grandfathered in that has no time of use rate. And the utility keeps trying to change people and they send you emails. Don't you want to switch to time of use? Don't let them do it. I have an E1 rate schedule and that is golden and it's grandfathered in. So I never want to use that E1 rate schedule. And I even know other people too where they say that the utility in California has actually changed their rate schedule without asking them to a time of use and they have to fight with them to get them to switch it back to that E1 rate schedule where it's not time of use, where it's just the same price for electricity morning, noon, and night. But as solar gets cheaper and more solar gets on the grid, it's still going to be economically favorable to get solar, maybe even more so than when I put my solar on. Well, except I got a lot of my solar for free because I was using old used equipment from old training companies. But anyway, if you were buying solar, it used to be $10 a watt. And if you bought it now for $2 a watt or $3 a watt or something in that area for your house, it's still going to be a better deal with the not better net metering. And as far as getting batteries, there's a lot of variables there. But another thing too, especially with this time of use where it's more expensive in the afternoons, is it might be more beneficial for you to face your PV to the west than possibly even the south and definitely more so than the east. Because remember, the east-facing roof is morning, south is noontime, west is afternoon. So go west. And so, yes, there's been lots of battles with utilities all throughout the country, but especially California, all these different assembly bills, and the solar industry is fighting hard. So go CALSA. That's the group in California that advocates for solar. Great. So thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. You can find out more at Solar, S-E-A-N, that's SolarSean.com, where you can take some great online classes. And my NABCEP PV Associate pass rate is 98%. And I also have lots of classes with great reviews. You can check out my reviews. Go to SolarSean.com, hit the link for heat spring and online classes, and find it all out. I even have flashcards where you can memorize stuff about solar. Just go all in on solar and storage. SolarShawn.com.